What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I am recording this on Tuesday night, uh, January 17th. We are still just a little bit past that midway point, so most teams have played around 45-ish games. Um, So sample size is pretty big uh, to this point as discussed on the last podcast. But uh, today we will be talking about contenders and pretenders. Uh, And I will tier off all 30 teams uh, based on how legitimate I think they are as a contender uh, as we move towards the latter half of the season. Uh, So with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. So first I'm going to walk you through the different tiers that I am going to uh, go through on this episode. I'm going to go in reverse order where I'll say the uh, the biggest threats last. So that group will be the favorites. Um, then uh, right before that, we will have the contenders. Then right before that, I do have a group of quasi-contenders. Um, then I have the pretenders. Um, a few of these tiers have uh, tiers within them, uh, and I'll, I'll explain those as, as we go through. But the group I actually am going to start with is Neither. (laughs) Uh, These teams, there is seven of them. They are a different kind of contender. They are lottery contenders. Um, And I don't want to call them, they're obviously not contenders, but I don't want to call them pretenders either because they're not pretending uh, to try to contend. These are teams that um, a lot of them are younger Uh, They've got most of their draft picks moving forward. A lot of them have other teams' draft picks moving forward. They've got cap space. They've got young players. They've got a lot of uh, options moving forward, and most of them will have their sights uh, set on the draft uh, at the end of the season, those seven teams being the Thunder, the Spurs, the Rockets, the Magic, the Jazz, the Hornets, and the Pistons. Uh, Most of these teams have pretty bad records, I know the Jazz and Thunder have actually been uh, somewhat of pleasant surprises, but I'm not so focused on record on a lot of these tiers and more so focused on uh, their goal and how legitimate I think they are. I think both the Jazz and Thunder are nice stories. I think neither of them uh, will ultimately get into the play-in. I think both of them could be sellers at the trade deadline, and ultimately I think they would rather be at the bottom of the standings than the top at this point. Next, we will move into the pretenders. Uh, I have nine teams in this tier. Uh, There are two separate tiers in here, though. The first one is a group of teams that are, they're underperforming. They've, um, in one way or another, they've all sort of put their chips into the center of the table to attempt to contend. Uh, But for one reason or another, it just hasn't worked out, whether it be weird personnel fits a lack of ceiling on their talent, poor coaching, bad chemistry. They A lot of them have traded away a lot of picks to get proven players. A lot of them don't have much cap flexibility. And a lot of them don't really have a way to move forward to improve other than likely to blow it up. Um, and a lot of these teams really need to face reality and probably cut their losses on some bad moves they've made um, if they ever want to legitimately contend. Um, and a few of these teams would be pretty well served to actually blow it up and undergo at least some sort of a rebuild in the near future. 
So starting off, I have the Atlanta Hawks. They obviously have a lot have have had a lot of weird things going on with the whole Trey Young situation. He has been rumored to potentially want out uh, in the near future. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. But the Trey Young and Dejounte Murray fit has not exactly been a smooth uh, transition there. They also lack uh, focus and effort on the defensive end a lot of times. There's also John Collins, who's having a career worst season. And he has been in the rumor mills um, on the trade front for years now. And it seems like maybe he could finally get moved at the deadline uh, this year. Also, Nate McMillan, it's questionable whether he's lost the locker room or not at this point. Next, want to move to the Raptors. I think they have a lot of weird personnel fits. They don't really have any guards or bigs, just a lot of wings. Of course, wings are probably the most sought after uh, position in the league today. However, I don't think you can just fully neglect the other two positions. Other than Fred Van Vliet, I think they have one legitimate guard in Malachi Flynn, and he is not exactly uh, a future all-star. <laughs> and then on the big man side, they've got one player that's taller than 6'9 on the entire roster. So they'd be well served to maybe consolidate some of their wings into a more balanced team. They also don't have a lot of depth Nick Nurse has kind of been playing these guys to death. I believe every, uh, or at least most of their starters are north of 35 minutes per game. And then also, I just am not sure they have enough star power. Siakam is a, a very good player, uh, really proven to be a borderline top 20 guy. But outside of him, they don't really have anybody else in the top 40. I know Van Vliet made an all-star game last year, but... He has regressed and had a very poor offensive season this year. Scotty Barnes has been a little disappointing. Um, and uh, other than that, I mean, Trent's a fine player. Anunoby's having a good year, but I don't think anyone thinks he's going to be a all-star uh, at any point, really. Next, we have the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, to be quite frank, they are very bad defensive defensively. Uh, with Dame and Anthony Simons, they just can't stop anybody on the perimeter. Jeremy Grant often doesn't put effort in on that end, um, despite having the tools to do so. And Yusuf Nurkic is just, he's not a versatile defender. They also don't have much depth. Um, they don't have a lot of talent next to Dame. I think he needs a true number one. And I don't think Simons or Grant are that. I think both of them could be number twos or very good number fours, but they are not a number two on a true contender. And also, we've kind of seen this team reach its ceiling. They've retooled a bit, moving on from C.J. McCollum and shaking things up, uh, letting Simons take over the starting role and trading for uh, Jeremy Grant. But ultimately, I don't think uh, – or I think we've seen the best of the Blazers at this point in the Damian Lillard era unless they're able to consolidate picks and players for a second All-Star. Next, we have the Chicago Bulls. Um, they've just got a lot of aging stars. Vucevic and DeRozan are both on the wrong side of 30. DeRozan is especially getting up there in age. They also don't really have a true superstar. DeRozan's probably their best player, but, I mean, we've seen, even in his prime, he they weren't good enough when he was uh, their best player with the Raptors. So we know that he's not really a true number one on a contending team. Additionally, outside of him, Levine has also not really fit that mold, and then they don't really have much else after that. 
Um, they also don't have much interest in playing defense. <laughs> They've been very bad defensively this season, uh, which was to be expected just based on the personnel they have. And again, I think they've probably reached their ceiling, uh, which is no more than a first-round exit uh, like they had last year. Next, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Rudy Gobert experiment has been pretty much a disaster at this point. Um, Carl Anthony Towns has not matured at all as a leader, uh, not to mention that he's injured and they've actually played a little bit better since he's been out. Anthony Edwards has had a pretty disappointing season compared to the breakout year a lot of people thought he might have. I, I believe he was one of the leading candidates for most improved player uh, by uh, the odds in Vegas coming into the year. And he's had some nights where he's disengaged. He came into uh, the season looking a little out of shape. Uh, they also just have a lot of low IQ guys on this team. Uh, D'Angelo uh, Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, just not guys that make winning plays consistently. And they also have pretty much no flexibility at all moving forward after trading the majority of their picks for Rudy Gobert. And then also having uh, big contracts with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. D'Angelo uh, Russell is an expiring deal. However, I believe they're over the cap, so... If they, unless they trade him, uh, they'd have to either re-sign him, or if he walks, they're actually not going to recoup that cap space. Uh, additionally, they're going to have to pay Edwards at some point. And then the last team I have in here is the Washington Wizards. Um, they're paying a lot of fringe all-star guys, like they're all NBA guys, specifically Porzingis and Beal. Um, these are not uh, really franchise players, but more complimentary uh, fringe all-stars, like I said. They're also not very good on defense, um, and they've got a lot of just similar, like, just okay type players. feels like every year they draft eight or ninth, and they get a guy like uh, Ruri Hachimura or uh, Denny Avdia. Last year, they got Johnny Davis. Just, they haven't been able to, like, hit on a, a lotto pick in a while. Um, I mean, the last time they did was probably Beal, and that was uh, back in 2012, so it's definitely been a while for them. So moving on to the second half of the Pretenders tier, I have three teams, and I wanted to separate these three teams because while I do not think they are legitimate playoff contenders, I think these three teams have a little bit more of optimism around them than the um, six that I just named. All of those, like I said, have limited flexibility moving forward and have kind of underperformed. These three teams have, in my opinion, actually overperformed, and all three of them have a ton of assets moving forward that they could move. So they're built to uh, be better over the next few years, where a lot of those teams are built to um, be worse and have really hit their ceilings. Um, so while these aren't contenders, there is reason for these fans to be optimistic. Uh, they're kind of ahead of schedule from where most people thought they'd be, specifically this season. Um, and a lot of the players on the teams have been a little better and potentially better earlier than expected. Um, and like I said, they definitely have some flexibility with their picks and cap space moving forward. So the first one being the Knicks. Um, I think the Knicks will definitely make the playoffs. When I say that they're a pretender, I just mean that I don't see them winning a playoff series. I think their ceiling is losing in the first round. However, Brunson has been way better than expected. Randall is having a very nice bounce-back season. Um, they have a bevy of picks moving forward after not making the Donovan Mitchell trade. Um, and then they've got some tradable deals between the uh, few expiring contracts they have. 
Um, and then even deals like the Brunson and RJ Barrett one, I think are actually going to look on more of the team friendly side once the cap starts to expand and they'll definitely be tradable deals. So next we have the Sacramento Kings who are currently the four seed in the West. So I was high on the Kings coming into the year, but certainly not that high. I did not think they would get home court advantage. I don't think they uh, will necessarily sustain uh, keeping home, home court advantage. However, it's been really impressive what they've done so far. Sabonis has honestly been playing at an all-NBA level, not just an all-star level. Um, and he, he has maybe one of, if not the most team-friendly contract in the entire NBA. Um, De'Aaron Fox is probably having his best season ever. He's um, in the running for an all-star game after never even really being in consideration in the past. And his clutch stats have been... Um, pretty ridiculous to this point uh, i believe he's the top uh clutch score in the nba this year so he's he's really got a chance to win the um first ever clutch player of the year award that i think they're handing out this season um their kevin herter trade has looked like uh, a steal to this point he's having a career year keegan murray looks like he's a hit from the draft um not having eye-popping numbers but certainly uh has been quite good uh, in his rookie year and obviously you'd only think he would improve as he gets older and then they've got a lot of tradable deals uh, Harrison Barnes Rashawn Holmes these are very solid players that I'm sure a lot of contenders would even like to have but also their salaries aren't too massive where um, a lot of teams would like to have those kind of mid-size contracts that these guys are on additionally they have all of their picks except for the one they gave up for Kevin Herter um, so a lot of flexibility to trade there um and to be honest, this season for them is more about breaking that playoff drought than even contending. So um, while they are a pretender, I think even if they just make the playoffs, even as an eight seed, this season would be a massive success just uh, considering where they've been over the past decade or two. And then lastly, we have the Pacers. Um, they have virtually already met their uh, projected win total over an under number um, at only at the midway point. Halliburton looks like he's going to be a perennial all-star. Matherin has been a big hit from the draft as well, um, and you'd have to think he's only going to improve. They also have a ton of cap space uh, after they gave uh, DeAndre Aiden the uh, max offer sheet in the offseason, and it was matched. Uh, I don't think they ever used any of that space, so I believe they have over $30 million in cap space just kind of sitting there. They also have all of their picks plus other picks uh, from other teams that they've acquired in trades. Additionally, they've got uh, very tradable contracts like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, both of which have been uh, floated around in trade rumors for really a few years now, and both would be uh, very hot commodities on the trade market were they to uh, decide to deal those guys this season. So next, I'm going to move into the group of quasi-contenders. Um, there are three teams in this uh, tier. I do want to preface that I do not think that these three teams are necessarily equally as good as currently constructed right now. But I think all of them, the, the one thing they have in common is that I think they all have a puncher's chance in a playoff series. So... All of them have been a little underwhelming compared to expectations. They haven't necessarily played to their normal standard this season. Um, but they all have at least one thing that does give them a puncher's chance in a series. Um, and these teams are the Lakers, the Heat, and the Mavericks. Um, for the Lakers, 
I know a lot of people are probably saying that they're not very good and they're not um, true contenders, but um, I don't think they're true contenders. More what I think is that they could win a playoff series in the right matchup. Um, the teams in this tier, I think, could win a playoff series, um, but I don't expect them to go very far if they do. And I think that they have low-ish floors. Um, I think all of them could be in the plan. I think all of them um, will probably lose first round, but we'll just have to see. But starting with the Lakers, why I think they have a puncher's chance, um, I think it's pretty obvious the, the reason is LeBron James. Um, and it, also Anthony Davis, but mainly LeBron James. Um, if you exclude when Anthony Davis got hurt in the twenty one or 2021 playoffs, LeBron teams have made nine straight finals appearances when he's made the playoffs. Um, and they were actually the Vegas favorites in the West still in 2021, uh, even when they were the seventh seed. Um, and they haven't been very good this year. They're currently 20 and 24. They're 20th in offense, 20th in defense, um, and have a minus one net rating. So there's obvious reasons why I wouldn't have them higher. In fact, mo you could really argue that I should have them in the pretender tier. Um, but... Um, and with that, I'll say I do not think they're as good of a team as the Mavericks or Lakers. Um, I think they have a much lower ceiling, um, and I think the Heat and Mavericks definitely will make the playoffs. However, I think the Lakers um, definitely could miss the playoffs, and I think that's probably more likely. Um, but I just want to do this out of respect for LeBron and AD because they do have two top 10 potential players, and there's really not another team in the league that can say that. So, um no one else in that pretender tier has uh, anything that would garner them the level of respect that these this duo should have. Um, and honestly, since they started two and ten, they are seventeen and fourteen, um, or sorry, they're eighteen and fourteen, um, which isn't awful. Um, that's with AD being out for a good bit of that. LeBron also missed some time. Russ has been much better. The offense has been way better compared to where they started. They've gotten big lifts from uh, Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant coming back uh, from injuries. Um, and we have to keep in mind that they still may make a trade with uh, one of the one or both of those two uh, unprotected picks that they can offer alongside Russ's contract, or maybe they keep Russ and send out uh, smaller contracts with those picks. But who knows? Like I said, this is strictly out of respect for uh, them having two top 10 players, one of them being arguably the greatest player of all time. Uh, but moving to the Mavericks, uh, I think it's a pretty obvious reason why I think that they have a chance in any series, um, and that is Luka. He's been pretty much unstoppable in every playoff series he's been in. His career playoff numbers are 32.5 points per game, over 9 rebounds, almost 8 assists, 47% from the field, 37% from 3. Um, in all three playoff series uh, that he's lost, he actually lost to the at-that-time finals favorites in the West. Um, the Clippers in 2020, um, when they lost, I believe the, t the uh, Clippers again in 2021 were the favorites because the Lakers had already lost at that point. And then the Warriors last year. Um, not These three teams weren't necessarily the favorites coming into the playoffs uh, all three years, but when they beat the Mavericks, they were currently the favorites. Um, and the Mavericks have been a pretty uninspiring this year. They're 24 and 21. They are 6th in offense, but 24th in defense and only 15th in net rating um, at only plus 0.4. Uh, they've hovered around 500 for most of the season. They did go on a 7-game win streak, um, but since then have struggled again. 
Um, and they're 17 and 21 if you exclude that seven-game win streak. Um, I know this might seem quite low compared to where most people have them. And like I said, really all this means is that I think that um, they could at best win one playoff series. And I do feel that way just because um, this is not the same team as last year that made the conference finals. They were sixth in defense last year, and they're 24th this year. Um, so they've been significantly worse on that end. That is a massive drop-off. And really their formula last year was um, 3 and D guys next to Luka. So guys that can shoot, um, Luka was going to get his points, and they were going to play good defense. And there's an entire element missing um, from that formula on the defensive end this season. I do think if their defense is playing even at a top 10 type level, I would I would move them up a tier um, and maybe even have them near the favorites. Um, and if they were even in the 12 to 15 range, I'd probably move them up. But 24 is just a little too low for my liking. Additionally, I just don't see a path for them with a bottom five defense to go along with their weak supporting cast. I mean, Christian Wood or Spencer Dinwiddie is either their second option on any given night. And we've seen how good Brunson is this year. I don't think Brunson necessarily massively improved from last season. He definitely did some, but a lot of it's just been opportunity. So I think he really was a very good player for them last season. Um, and you could see it in the playoffs when he didn't play. Brunson was playing uh, phenomenal against the Jazz in the first round. So the loss of Brunson just on top of the huge defensive decline, I think this team has taken a clear step back from last year. However, with Luka playing out of his mind uh, really all this year and doing so in the playoffs throughout his career, I think they have a chance um, in any series. I just don't think that they can string together multiple series wins. And then lastly, looking at the Miami Heat, their big X factor and reason they have a chance is just their coaching and experience. Um, they are one Jimmy Butler three-pointer uh, away from making two finals in three years, uh, which is <laughs> really impressive, obviously. So, But they are 24-21 and 21 right now. They are fifth in defense, but only 25th in offense. They've been really bad on the offensive end, uh, 17th in net rating. And they've also hovered right around 500 most of the year. Uh, they haven't been... Uh, better than four games over 500 at any point. And this season's been pretty reminiscent of that uh, 2021 year sandwiched in between their finals run and conference finals run. Um, they kind of were around 500 most of the year that year as well. They ended up 40 and 32. Um, they were the sixth seed. They did get swept first round by the Bucks that year. And I predict that this season's probably more similar to that one than the other two years. Um, I'm not saying they'll necessarily get swept, but I think the six seed seems like the most logical place for them to end up at the end of the year. Um, I think their record probably won't be too different from that one. I know that was a shortened season, so um, they would have 10 more games thrown in there. But just because they do have some, uh, or not some, but a lot of recent playoff success with this same core team, I think they've got a shot to beat someone. Um, so I don't, I don't see them making another uh, conference finals run, but I think they could win a playoff series, but, um, their journey would likely end after that one, uh, series. So, so next I want to move into the contender tier. I've got seven teams in this tier and it's broken down into, uh, two sub tiers. These are interchangeable. So I'm the order I go in doesn't really matter. I don't think one tier is clearly above the other one. Um, I think one of them 
the teams have a higher floor but probably a lower ceiling and the other one has a lower floor but probably a higher ceiling so um, you know what you're getting with the, the first group and a little less so with the the latter group but this first group there's four teams I like all of these teams um, I think uh, all of them could at the very least make a conference finals run or even potentially a finals run if everything broke their way. Um, but unfortunately, there's only four teams in each conference that can win in the first round. So just given how many good players and teams there are in the NBA today, oftentimes good teams can still lose first round. And it's strictly because of matchup and just because the quantity of good teams. So the four teams I have in this tier are the uh, Pelicans, the Nets, the Cavaliers, and the 76ers. So starting with the three Eastern Conference teams, um, I think there's a pretty clear top five in the East. These three teams, along with the Bucks and Celtics, which we will get to later. Um, but that means that there is going to be two of these teams that end up playing each other first round. And that means that one of them is going to have to lose. Um, I think the Bucks and Celtics will end up being uh, safely in the top three and avoid the 4-5 matchup. So I don't think that they will have to play one of these teams first round. So that leaves the Sixers, the Cavs, and the Nets as possible teams for that matchup. And right now, I think any of these teams could beat any of the other ones in a series. Um, I think it's a little too early to say who I would pick personally. I would probably need to see how the teams are playing um, at the end of the season, who's healthy on each team and who gets home court um, and just see how they're looking towards the end of the year. But all three of these teams have a pretty clear question mark uh, with the Nets. It is their health. Um, Kevin Durant coming into this year, I played 45 or sorry, 90 games in three years. So uh, zero uh, three years ago and then 45 on average the last two years. And he's already injured again. So, we're not exactly sure when he'll be back, and I just don't know if I trust them to stay healthy for uh, three or four playoff rounds. Um, that's not even to mention Kyrie Irving, who's had a lot of um, injuries in the past, specifically in the playoffs. He's missed playoff runs with three separate teams, every team he's been on, the Nets, the Celtics, and the Cavs. Uh, and then moving to the Cavs, the current Cavs, they just don't have much experience. I know Donovan Mitchell has made the playoffs every year of his career, um, but I believe he's only made the second round two times, so he's only won two playoff series, um, and he's never made it out of the second round. And then outside of him, they have virtually zero experience on this team in the playoffs. Uh, Kevin Love is really the only one. He's obviously got a, a lot of finals experience, but he is a role player at this point. They're sixth or seventh man, and he's probably not even going to be in their closing lineups in most games anyway, so I'm not sure how much of a factor that's going to play. Um, but their other four starters have never even uh, been in the playoffs. Um, well, I guess Levert and <laughs> Jared Allen made it in their uh, bubble season. But they've never been uh, on a team expected to win at all. And I'm pretty sure that they uh, lost pretty handily um, that year as well. So uh, then moving to the 76ers, um, I don't have any major like concerns or holes in the team, except for the fact that they have just consistently underperformed in the playoffs. Um, and it, it's, there's multiple people associated with the team that have done so. I mean, Harden's got as many playoff um, shortcomings and failures as any player this, this century. 
Um, Embiid has certainly had some disappointing uh, playoff series and runs over the past few years, and he's never made it out of um, the second round. And then Doc Rivers has blown more 3-1 leads than any coach in NBA history and um, has blown a lot of 2-0 leads as well, um, 3-2 leads. I mean, the guy just blows series leads all the time. Um, however, I do think all of these teams are very good. Um, they're all top 10 defenses. Uh, the Sixers are fourth. The Cavs are second. The Nets are eighth. Um, they all have multiple proven all-stars. Um, the Sixers have Embiid and Harden. The Cavaliers have Mitchell and Garland. I know Garland's only made one, but I he's young, so I um, think he's got a good shot to make it this year, and he probably will make more over the uh, span of his career, as well as Jared Allen, who's actually made an all-star team last season as well. And then the Nets have Kyrie and KD, not to mention Ben Simmons, who is obviously underperforming, but he has um, made uh, multiple All-Star games and All-NBA teams. So uh, They're also all top seven in net rating. Uh, the Sixers are sixth, the Cavs are third, the Nets are seventh. Um, the Sixers uh, are 11th in offensive rating, Cavs are 12th, Nets are 7th. So they're all well-rounded teams. They're all above-average offenses. They're all uh, among the best defensive teams. Uh, but unfortunately, I just I know that one of these teams is going to lose first round, and so that's why I have them in this tier because I'm not sure which one it's going to be. I might have maybe had the Nets higher, but just with the KD injury, I could see them falling to the 4 or 5 seed um, and not recovering uh, by the time Durant is back. And then moving to the Pelicans, a lot of the same sentiment. I know it's only one team, but um, they have been very good defensively as well. They're also sixth in defensive rating. They also have multiple all-star players in Ingram and Zion. They have a great coaching in Willie Green. I think their ceiling is probably Western Conference Finals. If not the finals, if everything broke their way, they got a little bit of luck. But I also think given the other teams in the West, um, and that I don't think they're going to be a top-two seed, I just think that... They're going to have a tough, tough first-round matchup, um, and unfortunately, I still think they could lose in the first round, even if they were the higher seed. And certainly in the second round, I don't think I'm going to end up picking them, really regardless of who they're, who they're playing there. I'm also massively concerned with their health. Ingram hasn't played in months at this point um, and has really no timetable for return, and then Zion is hurt again, um, doesn't have a timetable either, and we know of his injury history. Um, they're also a young and relatively inexperienced team compared to some of the other ones, especially compared to the Nets and Sixers and some of the other teams I'm going to name in the Western Conference. But um, they did make the playoffs last year. But outside of that, most of their uh, players don't have much playoff experience outside of C.J. McCollum. Um, so I really like all these teams. Unfortunately, someone is going to have to lose um, early in both of the conferences. And I think the some of these teams will, and some of them won't, but I'm just not sure which uh, teams are going to be which. So next we have three wild card teams. Um, if you did blind resumes, um, I don't think any of these three teams would be in the contender tier. All three of them have had extended stretches where they've really struggled this year. All three of them had ha- have had a number of injuries, all three of them are mostly veteran teams uh, with a lot of playoff experience um, and players and coaches with a lot of uh, mostly playoff success. Um, and all three of them could end up as a lower seed, but uh, would really uh, 
be very dangerous uh, for a lot of teams in any matchup in the playoffs. Um, and whoever they draw, if they're fully healthy, um, could struggle to uh, take this team out. And they're honestly really living off their reputation uh, more so than how they perform this season. So um, these three teams I have are the Suns, the Clippers, and the Warriors. Um, both the Clippers and Warriors have hovered around 500 most of the year, and the Suns actually started really well but have since completely nosedived. So starting off with them, they are currently 21-24. and 24. They are 13th in offense, 15th in defense, and 14th in net rating. So they've been league average um, on both ends, really, and overall. However, they did actually start the season 15-6, and six, and they were the one seed in the Western Conference at the time. They are also 18-10 and 10 in games that Devin Booker plays. Um, they're 3-14 and 14 in games he misses. He's only missed 16 games, but I am including the one game against the Nuggets where he only played four minutes and left, um, and they didn't end up losing that game in overtime. So, um, But they just haven't been whole uh, all year, and it hasn't just been Booker that's been out. Aside from his 16 games missed, Chris Paul's missed 19, Cam Johnson has missed 37, Aiton has missed 7, Cam Payne has missed 17, Shaman has missed 16, Crowder, as we know, hasn't played at all this year, and they've just had a ton of injuries, and the problem is they've all been at once, which makes it even tougher. They've had to start two-way players, um, their entire bench ro- or guard rotation with Chris Paul, Cam Payne, Shaman, and Booker out. They're relying on guys that probably weren't even going to ever get playing time. And their initial starting lineup uh, that they planned for this year has only played six games all year together. Um, They've even had some games where they only had nine active players because um, they just couldn't field any (laughs) inactive or any more teams uh, or any more players. Um, and it's easy to see why the Suns' record isn't necessarily indicative of the level of the team they can be when they're healthy. Um, and on top of the injuries, Crowder is likely to net something in a trade at some point before the deadline. So, but there is a lot of reason for optimism with this team. Going into their game with the Grizzlies yesterday, um, they had a 30-point loss, very undermanned again, uh, so that hurt their uh, ratings a bit. But they were 10th in that rating coming into that game, actually ahead of... Uh, the Bucks in net rating. So they've been a little unlucky as well. They have eight one-possession losses. They have another loss in overtime that was uh, more than one possession, but obviously anyone's game there. They were playing at a 53-win p- pace uh, when Booker plays. He was having his best season ever, playing at an all-NBA level. Um, Cam Johnson and Chris Paul should be back within the next week or so. Booker hopefully by the end of the month, and ultimately they will get something for Crowder at some point. So there's reason for optimism. However, they are plummeting down the standings right now. I believe they would not even be in the play-in if the season ended today. However, um, there is not a lot of games separating the uh, teams from the 13th seed up to like the the 6th seed. So although they have a lot of teams to pass, it's not a ton of ground to necessarily have to make up from a games-back perspective. Moving to the Warriors now, they are 22-22. and 22. Uh, They are 15th in offensive rating, 19th in defensive rating, 18th in net rating with a negative uh, .4. They start off the year 3-7. and seven. Uh, They have been uh, no better than two games above 500 at any point this season, which is pretty crazy. Uh, they've hovered around 500 for most of the year. Their defense has been by far the worst uh, at any point in this dynasty era. Uh, even the year they missed the playoffs in 2021, they were a top five defense that year. 
Um, and they've been giving more minutes to Poole, um, who's really bad defensively, so that's probably been a part of it. Clay is also nowhere near the defender he used to be. Their bench is uh, really not full of any uh, above-average defenders, and Draymond has not been nearly as good on that end. Um, it could be because of the whole punch situation. Uh, I like to hypothesize that um, he might not be being as vocal on that end because uh, he doesn't necessarily feel like he can hold guys accountable as he uh, used to because he might have lost some credibility um, with the uh, whole punch situation. It also could have just been because of the contract. Uh, it's a lame duck year for him in some sense, potentially, so he might be a little less engaged than normal. Additionally, their bench has been awful. Um, I know they just signed Jordan Poole to that big extension, but he's having an extremely bad season. Um, he it does have a uh, career high in points per game, but he's shooting 43% from the field, 31% from three on eight attempts. Um, he's three and a half turnovers a game, which is first on the team, um, almost double his career average. Another big uh, thing is he actually has the same usage rate as Steph. Uh, he's above 30%. Um, and he's got a 105 offensive rating, 117 defensive rating, so a minus 12 net rating. Um, that low of a net rating at a 30% usage rate is definitely just killing this team. Um, they also have virtually uh, no veterans on the bench. Um, in years past, even just last year, they had Otto Porter, Gary Payton, uh, Damian Lee. In years past, they've had a uh, less washed Iguodala, uh, Sean Livingston, Leandro Barbosa, David West, JaVale McGee. And this year they're relying on guys like Ty Jerome, who's 25, uh, Kamingo, who's 20, Moses Moody, who's 20, Anthony Lamb, who's 25, DiVincendo, who's 26. Poole is still only 23. And then Wiseman is 20, but he's not even sniffing the floor because he's been so bad. And all that has led to a 4-17 and 17 road record, which just feels impossible <laughs> for a team that's so experienced and is coming off a uh, NBA championship. Um, and I know uh, you might be thinking, well, Steph missed some time, like uh, Booker missed time. We're giving them benefit of the doubt. But the difference here is that they were only six and eight without Steph. Um, whereas the, <laughs> the Suns were uh, th been three and 14 without Booker. Um, and they've only been 16 and 14 with Steph. So, I mean, they're at 500 overall. They're only two games above 500 with Steph in a larger sample size than without. Um, so I, it's not really like he's made a huge difference. I mean, they've lost some really bad games even with him. But ultimately, they are the four-time uh, NBA champions with this core. Um, I don't. Would anyone be shocked if they rattled off 10 straight wins? Absolutely not. I, I wouldn't either. Would, they, would I be shocked if they vaulted up into the top four seeds? Um, in, within even just a few weeks. No, I would not. Um, so we'll have to see. I think anyone would fear this team in a matchup uh, in the playoffs, and they probably are going to be favored. I mean, even if they end up as a sixth seed, play the Pelicans first round, they're going to be favored. Play um, the Grizzlies or Nuggets second round, they're probably going to be favored. Um, so we'll see. But obviously they are a threat regardless of um, how lackluster they've been uh, to this point. But I am a little concerned with their defense. Moving to the Clippers, the third team in this tier, they are 23 and 22 overall. They're seventh in defense, which is good, and then 26th overall in offense, which is obviously not good. They're 20th in net rating, a minus 0.6. Similar to the Warriors, they've hovered around 500 most of the year. They started the year 14 and 13. They did then 
have a six and two stretch where they got up to uh, twenty and fifteen, but then they lost six in a row to fall under five hundred again, and now here they are one game above five hundred. So, uh, five games above five hundred has been their season peak, but they really have hovered in a um, small interval of below and above five hundred, um, and a lot of their inconsistencies, similar to the Suns, have been due just to uh, personnel and health. Um, issues. Kawhi is, uh, he only played five of their first 24 games. Um, and that was when they were, uh, playing very mediocre, especially on the offensive end, they were bad. Um, and since he's been back and finally playing well, Paul George has actually missed a good amount of time. Uh, George has missed a total of 12 games, uh, and he's still currently out right now. Uh, Kawhi and PG have only played 15 games together all season. Uh, some of these were with Kawhi on minutes restrictions and actually coming off the bench as well. So I'm not sure how many of those have been really a full go for both of those guys. Um, and they're deep. They're built to sustain injuries, but not from their top two. Uh, they've got, they're like 10, 12, 10 to 12 deep uh, on good role players. So if any of them get hurt, they can easily sustain it. But they've got a, uh, they're very reliant on their top two. I'm not even sure who their third best player is. Um, maybe... Um, Norman Powell offensively, Zubats has been pretty decent this year, but uh, Marcus Morris can uh, go get a bucket for you. But regardless, the role players have been mostly good. They have seven guys averaging double figures, uh, which is very impressive. It's been um, a very spread out offensive approach at this point in the season. Um, their guards have really been an issue, though. Uh, Reggie Jackson has a minus 14 net rating, John Wall a minus 10. And John Wall really has been a particularly tough watch. Um, a lot of people questioning if he should be removed from the rotation, and I think ultimately he should, although Ty Lue has been reluctant at this point. But probably a lot of that has to do with the lack of guard depth that they even have on the roster. Um, I know they've been uh, linked to guys like Mike Conley, so I think if they can get someone like him by the trade deadline, that'll do them very good. Um, but there is reasons to be optimistic. Their defense has been very good. Kawhi has looked uh, very much like himself in uh, recent weeks um, since coming back. And they're just getting healthier overall. They obviously need George to come back, but his uh, injury isn't too serious. I don't think he definitely will be back uh, sometime soon-ish. They're also very deep, and I'm a huge Ty Lue fan, so I think that they are one of the uh, best coach teams in the NBA. Um, and when it comes to a playoff series, they're going to make adjustments as well as play tough defense, and they do have uh, good star power at the top. So next we're going to move into the list of favorites. Um, there are four teams in, in this tier, but they're broken up into two separate tiers. The first tier being finals contenders, and these are the two favorites in the West. Uh, the Nuggets and Grizzlies, both of them are on win streaks of eight or more games. They have the identical record of 30 and 13. Both have been near the top of the conference really all year, but they do it very different ways. So starting off with the Nuggets, like I said, they're 30 and 13. They are second in offensive rating and 18th in defense. They are fourth in net rating overall with a plus four. They are an elite offensive team. Any team with Jokic tends to be that if he's got good talent around him. He's having another MVP-type season. Um, shooting an absurd 62% from the field this year. That's just ridiculous on his volume, especially for a guy that takes a lot of jump shots. Murray is starting to get into a groove and pretty much looks like his old self at this point. People do forget that he's actually really only been in 18 uh, points per game and four assists guy throughout his career. I know his 
reputation got skewed a little bit because of how well he played in the bubble. But if you look at his career stats, they're pretty spot on with how he's been this year. Uh, KCP has also been a very good addition for them. He's shooting 48% from three this year. Bruce Brown has been a good addition again. Uh, he is 39% from three. Uh, both of those guys, good defenders. Um, and then Aaron Gordon has really been the big surprise for them. He's having his best season of his career. He's had some all-star rumblings. I don't think he'll make it. I think, uh, there's too many guys having really good years that where I, I don't think he'll get in, but he's worth, uh, bringing up just given that they are first in the West right now and that he is having his best season. He's averaging 17 and seven. He's shooting 59%, um, from the field, 39% from three. Those are both career highs by a good amount. He's a 47% uh, career field goal guy and 33% from three for his career. So he's plus 12 from the field, plus six from three. Those are massive jumps. And he's also been a net negative rating guy um, in six of his eight seasons. And one of those positive ones, he was only a plus one. So his net uh, rating for his career is zero, but this year he's a plus 13. So he's just been way better in pretty much every facet um, of the game this year. Bones Highland's also been a very nice energy guy off the bench. He reminds me of a young mini uh, Lou Williams coming off the bench. He's shooting 40% from three as well. I also think Mike Malone's one of the more underrated coaches in the NBA. He's been um, getting really the most out of his team over the past few years. But my main concern for them is their defense. Uh, only two teams in NBA history have ever won a championship with a defensive rating outside of the top 10. And one of them was the 01 Lakers, who, as we know, is they're considered one of the greatest time or teams of all time with Shaq and Kobe. Uh, and they actually did turn their defense up quite a bit in the playoffs. Um, they're currently 18th here, though. Um and they've really they've actually only finished top ten in defense one time in the Malone and Jokic era, and they were tenth, so barely. Um, and I do think this could come back to bite them. I do think they're good enough to, uh, certainly good enough to make the conference finals and good enough to make the um, finals. Uh, the, I mean, them or the Grizzlies are the top two favorites there. That's why they're in this tier. But um, I do ultimately think that they. Uh, would be put in a tough spot against the the top teams in the East just because of how poor their defense is compared to most of the other teams at the top here. But there's a lot of optimism here. They're a fun team. They look like probably the favorites right now in the West. I know a lot of teams uh, like them, or a lot of people in the media like them um, coming out of the West. Um, they've surrounded Jokic with probably his best group of role players he's ever been around. Murray is the second scorer that they've lacked over the past two years. They have a lot of playoff experience now at this point, um, and I think they have a, a very good chance of coming out of the West. Moving to their counterparts, the Grizzlies also at 30 and 13. Um, they are 10th in offensive rating and first in defensive rating, um, second overall in net rating uh, with plus 5.8, only behind the Celtics. They actually started the year 12 and 9, but they've gone 18 and 4 since. Uh, they have a seven-game win streak and a ten-game win streak that are sandwiching a one and four stretch they had in between those. But they're actually nineteen and seven since Jaron Jackson Jr. came back. They're ten and two since Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. have both been back. Um, and Triple J is really the the catalyst for them on this run, without a doubt. He's having by far his best uh, season to this point, averaging seventeen and seven, uh, an absurd three point two blocks per game. Uh, career high in both rebounds and blocks. Also career high in efficiency. 
52% from the field, 38% from three. Those are way up from last year. He was 42% from the field, 32% from three. So a plus 10 and a plus six there. Uh, he's a 121 offensive rating, 102 defensive rating, which is a plus 19. Um, those are all career highs, the, the totals as well as the net. Um, and first career has only been a plus three. So he, he's been uh, massively better uh, when he's on the court this year. Jaws obviously doing his normal thing, 27, 8, and 6 on 47%. Um, even Steven Adams is having a career year in some aspects. He's got a career on rebounds and blocks, even though he's um, at the age of 29, uh, which is <laughs> pretty crazy. He's 29. feels like he's been in the league literally forever. Um, and he's also one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. Um, Bain has been not quite as good since coming back from his injuries as he was before, but he's still improved from last year and looks like uh, he is uh, making strides towards being uh, an improved player from uh, the year before. They also, as I said, have the number one defense in the NBA. So um, they've been top six the previous two years as well. Um, they also are number one in uh, points in the paint. Uh, and they actually have been number one in points in the paint for four straight years now. And that's the entire tenure of Taylor Jenkins. So he, he's got them uh, scoring down low consistently. Um, and I also think Jenkins is just a really underrated coach. Um, he's improved his win total every single season uh, with the Grizzlies, and he's on pace to do it again this year, um, even though they won 56 games last year. Um, I was originally a little concerned with the Grizzlies coming into the year because of their depth and their reliance on a lot of young guys, but um, Bain and Jackson have really taken uh, at least small leaps um, in the case of Bain and a big one in the case of Jackson. And then Adams has been better, too. Their bench guys have also been pretty good. Conchar, uh, Tyce Jones, um, Aldama have all shot it well off the bench. And then Brandon Clark has been solid as he has the past few years. David Roddy and Zaire Williams have shown some flashes as well. One thing I would want, uh, like to call out, I I would like to see them upgrade the Dylan Brooks spot. Um, I've just never really been a huge fan of him. And I, <laughs> I feel like he just does not fit on this team at all. Um, he's one of the most inefficient volume scorers in the whole league. He's below 42% from the field for his career, below 35% from three for his career. This year, he's shooting 40%, 34% from three. He's uh, minus uh, 11 net rating for his career and a minus nine this year. And he's the only starter on the team um, that's consistently in the negative from a net rating perspective. So um, I really think they could upgrade this spot um, but they're always going to have a very high floor because of how good their defense is, um, as well as the uh, ceiling jaw Morant gives them. Ultimately, I think they'll go as far as Jackson and Bain can take them. If they continue to play at a higher level than they have throughout their careers, I think they have a legit shot to make the finals and represent the Western Conference. But if they regress a little bit back towards uh, where they have been, I think I might prefer the Nuggets, but I think it's pretty much a toss-up at this point between these two teams as to who's most likely to come out of the West. So lastly, um, I want to move to the title favorites, those being the Bucks and the Celtics. So starting with the Celtics, I've talked a good bit about them on this podcast. They are 33-12, and 12, uh, first in offensive rating, ninth in defensive rating, first in net rating at plus 6.3. They've had the best record in the NBA for pretty much the entire season. They've been the best offense in the NBA for basically the entire season. Uh, their defense did start a little s slowly this year, but has massively improved lately, and a lot of that is likely to do with uh, Robert Williams being back. 
They did lose their first three games uh, with Williams back. However, they've gone 8-1 and one, uh, since then in games he's played. Brogdon has really been the perfect piece for them. He takes pressure off of Smart and White to contribute offensively, and instead those two can focus a little bit more on the defensive end. Uh, Brogdon's shooting 49% from the field, 45 from three, 89 from free throws, so flirting with 50-40-90 there. He's also the third-leading scorer, uh, despite only playing 24 minutes a game and not starting a single game. Um, the role players have also shot the ball really well. Horford's 44% from three. Grant Williams, 40% from three. Hauser, 40% from three. Derek uh, White, 38% from three. And then Brown and Tatum have both clearly uh, just improved from last year. Tatum's at 31 a game, eight rebounds, four assists, on 47% from the field, 35 from three, 86 from the line. And he's been great defensively, as he was last year. And his efficiency really hasn't suffered at all, even though his volume has gone up a bit. He's also getting to the line more frequently. And then Jalen Brown is averaging a career-high uh, 27 points, a career-high 7 rebounds, as well as 3 assists. He's up to 50% from the field, a little low on his 3-point shooting, 33%. Um, uh, but he is setting career highs in points per game, rebounds per game, and field goal percentage. I also think Missoula has done a really nice job implementing a better um, offensive approach for this team. Um we saw them go through some uh, droughts, specifically in the playoffs last year. I, they haven't really had many of those this year. And they're taking a lot less long two-point shots, more three-point shots, um, also making uh, threes at a higher rate than they did last year. And to be honest, this team has really been far and away um, the best team in the NBA thus far. There's not really any debate that they have performed uh, better than any team. However, I am also a really big fan of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they are currently 28 and 16. They are third in defense, but only 23rd in offense this year. Uh, good for a uh, plus 1.2 net rating, which puts them at 10th in the league. They did start 9 and 0 this year, and they were up to 22 and 8, but have since gone 6 and 8. Um, Middleton did miss the first 20 games of the year after getting injured uh, last year. And then he did come back uh, briefly for seven games, but he has not played in the last 16 games uh, for Milwaukee. Uh, when he did play, he was very bad as well. Um, 11 points per game in 24 minutes, uh, 33% from the field, 27% from three. Giannis also, his efficiency is weirdly a bit down this season. Uh, his lowest field goal percentage in five years, lowest three-point percentage in eight years, lowest free throw percentage in three years, but Giannis is still having a really good year overall. He has set the bar extremely high given that he has two MVPs as well as a uh, dominant uh, run to the NBA Finals and Finals MVP. He's still averaging 31 points per game, 12 rebounds, 5 assists with elite defense. And defense has really been the main reason for this team's success this year. Brooke Lopez is also having a great year on that end. He is one of the uh, top contenders for Defensive Player of the Year, averaging two and a half blocks a game. He's also been good on offense, 14-7, and 50% from the field, 39% from three. They've also gotten some pretty good play from their role players. Uh, Grayson Allen is shooting 39% from three. Javon Carter is shooting 39% uh, from three. He's been a nice surprise for them. Um, and then Bobby Portis averaging a double-double, 14-10 and 10 on 50%. Joe Ingles has not shot the ball uh, that well thus far coming back from his injury. Um, and there were question marks if he was going to take a hit uh, athletically. However, <laughs> it's not like his game is necessarily built off athleticism. 
But the biggest thing with him coming back, it finally gives them another reliable pick-and-roll partner for Giannis and just a consistent ball handler. Uh, Middleton is typically the guy that runs the pick-and-rolls with Giannis, so with him being out, Ingles can uh, really step in and take on that role, at least in the uh, interim and before, until Middleton is back. Drew Holiday is also having another classic, solid Drew Holiday season. 18 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds, 45%. Uh, from the field, 37 from three, 86 from the line. And he's still the elite uh, perimeter defender that he's been throughout his career. But despite their lackluster offensive numbers and their recent uh, uh, struggles, I'm still very optimistic on this team because their defense is a lot better than it's been in the past few seasons. It was pretty subpar last year, about league average uh, 14th in the NBA, and then only even 10th back when they won it in 2021. Uh, which is borderline for that uh, only top 10 teams in defense can win a championship uh, rule that we've seen. And it, it really raises their ceiling moving forward um, compared to where they were the last few years, relying more on offense. Uh, and I actually think a lot of their offensive woes will be fixed once Middleton is back full-time, uh, assuming he will be for the playoffs. I actually do not think that they necessarily need him in the regular season. But uh, he will be vital for the playoffs. We've seen them be at the top of the standings in the East all season without him. But if he's not healthy for the playoffs, uh, or at least as close to uh, the level we've seen in the past few seasons with Milwaukee, then they won't beat Boston, and they easily could lose to a team um, besides Boston, and I would definitely move them down a tier. But also, I just think Giannis is the best player in the world right now. I'm going to bet on him more often than not. Um, and despite how dominant Boston has been this year, my personal uh, favorite for this year is still Milwaukee. However, that's extremely contingent on Middleton not only playing, but playing to a level uh, that is near the all-star level that we've seen him be over uh, his tenure with Milwaukee. But with that being said, I think that Boston and Milwaukee really is the finals, even though they probably wouldn't meet in uh, Till the conference finals, obviously someone from the West has to um, be in the finals. But this is the real matchup that the winner of this will win it all, um, barring any injuries or major additions to another fringe contender. Uh, I wouldn't argue with anybody if they picked either one or the other. I just personally prefer the Bucks, but I think the Celtics are as safe a pick as anyone uh, to win the title this year as well. That's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Thank you for listening. Um, covered a lot on this pod, just contenders, pretenders, everything in between where I think all the teams stand at the midway point as we head towards the stretch run of the season. Uh, next podcast I'll do will likely cover the all-star selections. I'll be doing my personal selections based on who I think should make it uh, for the game coming up in February. Um, but until then, uh, thanks so much for listening again, and I will chat with you soon.